All around the world, people are floundering. There's something missing, something more that they just can't grasp. Do you feel it too? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Every week, host Kevin Monroe will help you navigate to your true north and flourish in faith, business, and life. You found us for a reason. Stay tuned to find out why. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to Episode 7 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Have you ever had this experience? Your inbox is in some state of overflow? Mine always is. So you find yourself speed scrolling through the emails, looking to see if there's something important. You know, you're looking for the sender or the subject. And all of a sudden, a subject line just grabs your attention and screams, read me, read me, read me. Well, I want to talk about the last time this happened to me. It was June 21st. I'm scrolling through my inbox and this headline grabbed my attention. I've drifted away from my why. Well, what made this email even more amazing was the sender is one of the most purpose-inspired, purpose-pursuing guys I know, Dan Miller. He's the author of 48 Days to the Work You Love, founder of the 48 Days Community and 48 Days Eagles. Listen in on our conversation as he explains how he had drifted from his wife. Well, it's a real privilege for me to welcome Dan Miller to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, Dan, as we're getting started, what's something important for us to know about you that's maybe not on your website or always used in introductions of Dan in public places? (laughs) You know, most people assume that I've always lived the life that they see now, and they don't realize how recent it's been that the kind of things I'm known for have taken place. But, you know, I grew up on a farm, just a poor farm kid, and I go back to that as my roots really often. I mean, even the place that I have here where you've been, Kevin, you know, I have a lot of things to remind me of just growing up connected to nature. I walk around barefoot a lot during the day out here. That's probably, that's not something, yeah, I do indeed. As a matter of fact, earlier I went down to get the mail, it's quite a walk, and the asphalt was so hot, I found myself skipping over under the grass. (laughs) Well, that's certainly not in the resume. (laughs) Thanks for telling us. And and Dan, in a moment, we're going to talk about the email that was the impetus for us having this conversation now rather than later. But before we do that, why don't you tell us, since you just referenced, this is kind of a newer part of the journey, how you got started on the journey and that led to everything 48 days. Sure. Absolutely. Love to. I've been an entrepreneur since day one. I've never had a real job. I've always just found lots of opportunities around and just jump on them and do something fun. So I've had a lot of fun, done a lot of different things. But it was really when I was in my mid 40s, Joanna and I agreed to teach a Sunday school class at our church. My background academically is in clinical psychology. And uh, so I agreed to teach this class just to help people through these inevitable, relentless career changes that seem to come up. Well, I didn't anticipate what was going to happen there, but it was like a vacuum. People started coming from other churches and from other states for that Sunday school class. And I realized that, wow, this is really a big need. And in as much as I had no idea, no thoughts at all about making that 
a source of income or turning that into a career, the needs were just so enormous that finally, and Joanna and I talking together, said, you know, if there's this much need, I ought to seriously look at this as being a primary focus for what I do rather than just something I volunteer on the side for. So it really developed out of that. It kind of evolved unexpectedly for me in that the needs were so great. And then that became material that ultimately turned into the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and then courses and seminars and other things that have developed out of that. But it really came unexpectedly, and it was simply by responding to needs of Mm. people around me. Well, we'll come back and talk about those in a few moments. Uh, There's some questions I have about that, but let's let's get into this email. So on, on June 21st, Dateline, June 21st, <laughs> I'm scrolling through my email, and here is a subject line that just leapt off the pages to me and, and stood out. And it was, I've drifted from my why. And I was like, okay, I've got to open this. And I saw it was Dan Miller. So I knew this wasn't some fluke thing. I mean, this is from a, a credible fella, and he's talking about drifting from his why. Dan, you're one of the most purpose inspired, purpose pursuing people I know. And there you're, you're, you're confessing, I've drifted from my why. So thank you for the honesty of that, but, but unpack that for us. Well, I, I appreciate your kind of framing that, but I think because I am so intentional about that, it was something that I recognized perhaps quicker than some people would. I recognized it because I am so intentional about being focused on my why, my purpose, my mission, my destiny, my calling you know, those words that we use in that space. And I realized I've just become a commodity marketer. You know, I'm selling books and courses. I mean, we're doing pretty well in that space. But that's not really what I want to be known for. I really want to go back to discover my why being to help people know the path that they're on. What is it that God has put in you that makes you want to spend your time doing what you're doing? And if you're not doing that, you know, why not? But it's that space. But I got into that point where somebody says, my job is just sucking the life out of me. Mm -hmm. Well, I could say, well, here's a book. I have a book for you. I have a course for you. Or somebody says, gee, Dan, I want to be a coach like you are. Well, we have a mastery coaching program that's phenomenal to help people get on their feet and get started. I shouldn't go there that quickly. My Mm -hmm. question should be, you want to be a coach? Why? You know, what, what makes you think that you would be competent as a coach? How, what is there about your life that positions you as a coach? If somebody says, my work is sucking the life out of me, why? Hmm. What caused you to go there initially? What is it that you notice day after day about that that you know clearly is not a fit? I just need to move back into that space. But I drifted from that why to the what and the how. Man, I can create a new, I'm, a, I'm great at creating new content, new products. I love doing that. Uh-huh. But, but I, it's, there's that temptation. And, and of course, that's where we get paid. I mean, it's, it's tempting. It's alluring to go into that space. But we see people jumping on, especially now on the internet. You know, they're jumping on there with a course, you know, that's going to allow you to make $50,000 next month. You know, and they're so slick at selling that dream. <laughs> that they in fact are able to sell some of those courses without maybe really the basis there for being able to change somebody's life. I don't want to go there. 
I want to really come back to the basics of helping people understand who they are and what that positions them for. You know, I've had conversations with some friends along the same topic. And, you know, so much of the internet marketing space is people selling products to people so they can sell products. Absolutely. And that's not what folks like you and I are about. It, it's how do you help people find and fulfill, give expression to that God-given why that's in their heart, the higher purpose for their life. So I love this. What was the catalyst that, that you know, I mean, was there kind of a, a, a catalytic moment? You're like, wow, the epiphany uh, that you've, you're drifting or, you know, what, what led to that discovery? There really was. I was at lunch by myself and just reading, reading a book. And I had somebody come up and say, hi, he's a guy that works for Dave Ramsey. Mm -hmm. He's been there for 23 years. We had a three minute conversation. I hadn't seen him in years. We had a three minute conversation and he reminded me about how I used to teach chapter 11 of financial peace university. I would teach that personally originally. And, you know, Dave and I expanded that. And, of course, then he went on and grew it exponentially from there. But I remembered that. And I remembered that I have, I have a book here written by the pastor of the church where Dave and I were going to church at the time, Christ Church here in Nashville. And the title of the book is Let the River Run. And it talked about how there was something that happened in the life of the church that just exploded some entrepreneurial kind of ideas. They've tried to replicate that over the years and uh, have not been able to do so. But anyway, that it reminded me of what attracted me originally. I didn't come into this whole space so that I could sell books and get paid to speak and coach. Not at all. I came into this space because I was volunteering in an area of ministry that I thought I could really help people with. And I just, it was just like that one of those V8 moments that hit me in the head. I'm not having the same kind of conversations that I had with people 23 years ago. Wow. I'm selling books and courses and events and doing well in doing that. And I'm, I, I'm not trying to say that I'm apologizing for that. But I really think I shifted dramatically in the focus of what the work that I do. And I just decided I'm going to move, I'm going to go back to my original roots in this. And, and it's been delightful, frankly. Yeah, and I got a lot of response on that particular email that you're referring yeah. to. And it's, it's kind of a, been a light bulb moment for some other people as well, which has been encouraging and affirming. And I've interacted with a lot of people through that. Yeah, and I want to unpack those interactions a moment. But before we go there, you're at lunch. You have a three-minute conversation. And it sounds like maybe your, your heart is really pumping. Your head may be a spinning a bit. And, and you're just, what, what happened? What, what, what was the first thing you decided at the end of this conversation? Or what happened next when, you, you know, when the friend walks off? Yeah, you know, and then the friend walks off. I'm sure he has no idea. Exactly. <laughs> he has no idea how profound that conversation was and what it prompted me to do. Now, that's but a footnote we'll come back to in a moment. All right. I immediately knew. I immediately recognized. I was immediately able to frame exactly what I was writing about. This is not my why. Uh -huh. I'm just one more guy 
selling a lot of material products and services out here. And it was just so clear to me. I went back and read that book, Let the River Run. Mm -hmm. It talks about the time in the life of the church. And I was able to put myself back into those early conversations that we had sitting around. You know, initially there were only about eight or 10 of us sitting around having those conversations. But I remember how profound it was then to clarify for me, I need to be, devote my time to helping people in this space. That was a big epiphany then because I've always been successful in selling. I, I love to sell. I can sell lots of things. So I was selling at the time and not looking for anything new at all. This was purely a volunteer thing that I was doing through my church. But that three-minute conversation put me back in the mindset of those conversations 23 years ago. Wow. Yeah, so the footnote, I think many of us have been on either side of one of those profound conversations. And if we're on the catalyst side, rarely do we know the <laughs> impact of that. It was just a passing conversation. But boom, it was a could be a life-changing moment for the person on the other end. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. It is. I do need to let that gentleman know. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that, that I've uh, – as I think about higher purpose – I, I talk about the seven people we meet along the way, and one of those is the awakener, you know, because we're kind of living in la-la land or just doing our own thing, and all of a sudden, there's one of these awakening moments, and usually, the awakener has no idea that they awakened you to something, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they were, it, it was just a chance conversation, or they were just talking to the person next to them on the plane. This guy had his, had his son with him, and he was kind of filling his son in on those early days and the fact that you know before dave was dave ramsey was known as he is today you know i actually did a live class as part of financial peace university wow wow okay you, you talked about people are responding i can imagine so what what have been some of those most delightful responses and, and I, I guess other people are probably recognizing they may have drifted too Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the responses. You know, people are saying, wow, I'm in a job transition. And I realize that instead of focusing on my why, I too am just looking for a solution or to put groceries on a table. Mm. I don't want to do that. I want to see this as an opportunity to get back to my why. So I've got tons of responses that are along that line. Now, I also have people saying, you know, Dan, you need to write a book on this. <laughs> so there's, there's that as well. Yeah, write a book, create a course. Yeah, but, I, but I've got people saying, you know, I've struggled with this for 25 years oh. trying to figure it out, oh. and I'm not sure what to do. So there's, there's a lot of understanding of the concept of getting back to that why. Now, we can frame that using other kind of words if we want, but that's a really important question. Why are you here? Why do you do what you do? And often in, in working with people, you know, I do use that question a lot. Mm -hmm. If I ask why five times, it gets to the heart of an issue. If somebody comes in tomorrow morning and says, Dan, I just lost my job, why? Well, you know, they said I wasn't performing up to standards. Why? Well, I was late, you know, three times last week. Why? Well, 
you know, I really don't have my heart in it anymore. I miss the alarm clock. Why? And, and we back right into the real reason simply by asking that question. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, but it's good for me to be reminded of that and to look at the guy in the mirror and do the same thing. Yeah. And when things are going well, Kevin, it's, it's easy to not do that. See, that's the thing. It's easy to drift when things are going well. Now, sometimes when things are not going well, it's kind of a wake-up call to do that. But it's also easy to drift when things are going well, where we don't have to deal with those big questions anymore. It's just like, hey, yeah, things are pretty much on cruise control. And that's, a, that's another area where I, I really challenge myself because I don't want to live in my comfort zone. Sometimes we think, well, if I get the right job and get the right income and, you know, then things are just going to be really okay and I won't have to struggle as much. Now, there's some merit in thinking like that. But personally, I don't want to be in my comfort zone. I don't want to be in an area where 80% of the things that I try are successful because I don't think I'm pushing. I don't think I'm pushing to learn new things. I don't think I'm pushing to really tap into my zone of genius. That comes when I am stretching when I'm trying new things. And sometimes when things are going well, it's, it's the most challenging to change things and have to do something differently. Yeah. And, and so some of that drifting maybe happens because we're riding the waves of success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can carry us right up under the shore where things are too easy and we aren't struggling to be our best anymore. Yeah. Let me ask, as I've pondered your, your blog post and the email and, and read it a couple of, several times, actually, I wondered if there's another part of this. In conversations I have, a lot of people feel why is somewhat nebulous and hard to measure for them, where what or how, there are all kinds of metrics they can apply to that. Mm-hmm. Is that part of it, you think? Oh, it is. It is. It's a lot easier just to go to the things that are quantifiable. Yeah, it's it's more challenging to get your head around those things that are more elusive. But that's why so many people go through life without ever really dealing with those kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they get out of school, they get a job, and all of a sudden, 25 years have gone by, not fulfilling, not doing anything real meaningful, but, you know, being responsible to pay the mortgage, you know, and paying off student loan debt. They're They're okay. But that's not where most people want to live. And, and then what I hear from are people who are, you know, 45 years old and saying, wow, you know, th- this is not what I should be doing. Or even worse, you know, I'm living somebody else's dream, not my own. And so it's a great time at any t- point along the journey to draw that proverbial line in the sand. Say, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, what is it that got me here? Where do I want to be three years from now and how am I going to get there? But to really go back and revisit that, why am I doing what I'm doing? Well, okay, you've you've helped a lot of people through part of this process, or got people you know on their journey, or got people unstuck. A couple of questions about that: What are some of the common catalysts, or you know, the, the things that get people to really asking the questions, "Why am I here?" What what is the meaning, the purpose of my life? What are some that you've observed? Usually when people are asking those, it's been precipitated by something unexpected and unwanted in their life. A health scare, a relationship 
crisis, a business failure or job loss, those are usually the things that precipitate the questions. So they're negatives. That's again why it's dangerous in some ways to be successful continuously because we can drift away from the very questions we need to be asking on a daily basis. So it's usually something like that that precipitates it. It's not as common for somebody just where things are going well, for them to really take a hard look and for them to perhaps even stop doing some things that other people would consider very successful. Now, that's something that I've got a little experience in as well, Kevin. Okay. Because I'm very intentional about the use of my time. I'm very intentional about setting goals in seven different areas of my life. But having goals set by November 14th every year for the upcoming year, and incidentally, that date is significant to me because it's 48 days before the new year starts. Mm. So November 14th is my due date to have everything all laid out for the upcoming year. But as part of that process, I specifically look for and identify what is the 15% that I've been doing this year that I'm going to stop doing. Now, the reason for that is because it's for two reasons. One is I can't just keep adding more things onto my plate. That changes the quality of life that I have. The other thing is if I don't remove something, then I have no room for something new to come in. So I ruthlessly look for that 15%. And often it's things that have been very successful, but then that opens up a new 15%. And it's in those areas where I can experiment and try and dream big, where often the things that have turned out to be the most successful have really started is in that new 15% area. So I don't, I try not to throw the baby out with the bath. And I haven't had a lot of times in my life where I had a complete redo. There've been a couple, but not in, not in later years, but it's this process of weeding out 15% and then looking for what is going to be in the new 15% coming in? Fabulous. Fabulous, Dan. The second question I want to go back before I, I lose that one. The people you've worked with, what are some of the biggest obstacles you see them struggling with as they attempt to take the first step towards whatever the new thing is they've landed on? Yeah, a couple of things. One is the status quo. It's really difficult to mess with the status quo. It's almost like a train being on a track. It takes something major to get that train off the track because it's so used to just going in a predictable way. So there's that. That's why, you know, that that's why I use 48 days because I got frustrated in working with people who said, you know, my life is not what I want it to be. We identify where they want to be and how to get there. And two years later, I talked to them and they haven't done anything. And it's then like, well, I'm waiting until the kids get out of school. I'm waiting until I finish the degree. Wait till I pay off the mortgage. You know, there's always something that's not quite in alignment. I said, well, there's got to be a timeline that gets people to move. So I want people to, to move and take that action in a short period of time. So the status quo is a big factor in keeping people from taking a fresh look at where they are. Even if they've drifted, sometimes the drift is kind of unnoticeable because it happens slowly. The other thing is people often look in today's environment for external solutions 
anything that comes into their mind, they so quickly look at, well, gee, what is a new business opportunity? What's who's hiring? You know, where can I? They look for external things, and the real value, the real getting to the core of things, is to look internally first. So it's to stop, take a deep breath. Eighty-five percent of the process comes of having a clarity about moving forward comes from looking inward first. 15% is the application. We can do that easily. But people too quickly go to the application, put themselves on another path, hoping that things will be better only to discover six months later, they just had a Band-Aid solution. Interesting, Dan. I, I'm just processing, and, and I'm, I'm sure you listening, there, there's a lot of uh, me. Maybe you want to rewind some of this and listen again as, uh, to, to things Dan has uh, discussed here with us. Uh, one, one more thing, Dan, back to, to your drift. What's different since you've had that lunch conversation well, in the three or four weeks that have passed? What, what's, what's different about you? It's been a delightful time. I, I've had conversations, of course, with my wife, with my kids, and with other people who I trust and have deep relationship with, just to get, use them as a sounding board for what I'm going through. I've read deeply in some things to help me get a fresh look at this. And it, it's been a really exciting journey. And, of course, the, uh, the outcome is that I feel better equipped to deal with people and their situations than I ever have before. So it's come, it comes full circle very quickly. It's not just some staring at my navel kind of process. It comes right back to making me more effective at what I'm doing. I mean, tomorrow morning, I'm meeting with a gentleman who has pastored the same church for 23 years. He says, I need to get out of this. Get me out of this. Well, I need to be able to ask these questions of him that I'm dealing with myself. So we don't just have a Band-Aid solution, get him out of there in a way that he can continue to pay the mortgage. No, that requires some real introspection to figure out, wow, I mean, we've had all kinds of things there. Originally feeling a call from God that hasn't gone away, but what does that look like? How can you continue to fulfill that calling even if you don't get up and stand behind a pulpit on Sunday morning? So we have some real big issues to deal with there, but it starts with this, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What caused you to do that initially? And what does that look like today, 23 years later? Now, I'm smiling because I'm wondering, I'm sure you've connected. He's also in the 23-year framework. Time for you know, I didn't even think about that until I said that. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> 23 years, this is 23 years. There's yeah. something to that. I hadn't thought about that. I'll be talking to him tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's, uh, the other thing that this taps into conversations that that we've had in the uh, higher purpose community people are asking does your why change over life or does your understanding of your why change how has yours how would you answer that question for dan miller what's different about your why what have you seen seasons of life that it was different or i think i've had clarification of my why but it's remained pretty much the same 
as from the day you know when I was I mean when I was a kid, it really hasn't changed much. Now in forty eight days to the work you love, I distinguish between vocation, career, and job. Vocation is the big picture. That's what we're talking about here. You know, how do you want to be remembered? What are you doing to make the world a better place? Whatever. And it could be that I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Career is a subset of that. So career then could be, I could be a physician. I could be a sports therapist. I could be a biochemist. I could be a politician, evangelist, pastor. There's a lot of things that I could effectively do as a career that would help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Job then is just the smallest component. Job is what I am doing at this particular time on Monday morning to get a paycheck that is of alignment with career and vocation. But most people go too quickly to just the job. I need a job. And they don't look at the other issues. If you are clear on those other two issues, it gives you a framework. For one thing, it keeps you from being vulnerable. If the job changes, that should not change your vocation. Yeah. That doesn't change your calling. That doesn't change your why. So my why has really been very much in alignment from the time I was a little kid. The clarification and the application become much clearer and much more refined over years. I'm a lot better at fulfilling that vocation today than I was 40 years ago. And you've expressed it in different ways through those 40 years. Absolutely. Yeah. But I could do, I could today change what I'm doing. So I'm no longer an author and a coach. Not a big deal. I could completely fulfill my why by doing something else. I mean, I, I, could have, I could have a little used car lot down the road, which is always appealing to me. <laughs> I could do that and help and serve people really well in doing that and fulfill my why. So it's not that it narrows me down where I have to be an author, speaker, and a coach. Not at all. That's why I can help people who have a master's of divinity behind their name or a PhD or an MD or a JD, you know, the people that have professional degrees. Yeah, we can help them transition into something that looks to everybody else like a complete change. And yet at the core, it's not. I mean, I have here in my office, and Kevin, you've been here, but I have here in my office a beautiful painting that was given to me by a young man just out of appreciation for this process as we went through it. But he came to me as a pastor, but he was really frustrated. And as we started to talk about this, I mean, he he had five small children. He was working as a pastor, being paid peanuts, as they are typically in the early years. He was working as a desk clerk at a hotel weekday nights just to try to keep the electricity on. I was like, you know, who sold you this bill of goods? And he was really aghast. He was like, what are you talking about? Am I not doing the most godly thing I could possibly do? I said, no, you're not doing a godly thing. You're an imposter. You're trying to be something you're not. We need to figure out who you really are. We talked about, he would go into a room in their little tiny rented house and he would lock the door and put on Beethoven and Mozart and he would paint. Mm. He'd never done anything with it, but it was just this real cathartic release for him where he really felt like he was in the zone. I said, my goodness, I had him quit everything he was doing, including being a pastor. For four years, he did faux finishes or used brushes, sponges, rags to create these dramatic effects 
on people's walls. That gave him the freedom to move into this space where he is today, where he does nothing but paint. He paints these really beautiful abstract paintings with nothing but a musical theme. They're all the, so he's become known as that guy. Famous musicians all over the world have one of his pieces. He's making probably 10 times the money he ever made as a pastor. But now the key issue is he didn't walk away from his calling. He misunderstood his calling, his why, and the application. What he's doing today is a much purer application of his calling than he ever experienced as a pastor. And he says in his own words, you know, he says, as a pastor, people knew what to expect of me. They knew what I was going to say. He says, now I'm in people's, you know, million dollar homes. I'm just the artist. But he said, I have way more opportunity to really minister to people today with their hurts, their fears, their vulnerabilities than I ever had as a pastor. And that's the beauty of proper alignment, understanding our why. And that's a process that I want to be clear on for myself. And in doing so, I'm better equipped to help other people find their why. Mm-hmm. Wow. Again, rich conversation. And my mind's racing in multiple directions. And one of those is some of my own own journey. Uh, Dan, I started as a pastor and found out that wasn't the path for me. Did but you really? I, yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like I grew up in a in a religious environment that you know, encourage the dualism that if to express a call, a higher call, there's only one way to do that. Yes. In full-time vocational Christian service. Yes. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. Uh, So I appreciate you unpacking this and I'm sure we could have another whole episode (laughs) just on the misunderstandings of calling and why. Well, and the idea of ministry. Yeah. I mean, I hope that I'm, and when, when people tell me, you know, gee, Dan, you know, uh, nothing is working out for me. God's called me to full-time ministry. Oh, I just cringe when I hear that. Me too. I know what's coming. And what's coming is, you know, now you poor suckers like Dan Miller, who aren't in full-time ministry, need to give me money so I can go do this. And I'm thinking, I'm in full-time ministry. If I'm not, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But whether that's as a coach, an author, or as a plumber, electrician, or physician, you know, if you really are in your calling, you are in full-time ministry. That's our gift to be able to complete that calling. Yeah. And I believe we're all called. Absolutely. Not just a special few. Hey, a couple of rapid fire questions. Your p- personal pathway to purpose, more of a straight line or a zigzag? More of a straight line. Okay. I envy people who've had the straight line. Mm-hmm. I've definitely been more of the zigzag. Who's a hero or mentor that's helped you on your pathway to purpose? Wow, there have been so many virtual mentors over the years, people like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and Mark Victor Hansen, who over time I had the privilege of meeting with. But uh, even today, there are people that I read. I mean, people in terms of business like Seth Godin, who I would consider a mentor in terms of how they help me think. People locally like Dave Ramsey, Michael Hyatt, those guys are mentors as well. We share ideas together and challenge each other to sharpen our path. So I, I have a lot of them, but I encourage people to, to have mentors 
And you don't need to wait until you're fortunate enough to, to meet somebody personally. You can be mentored by somebody who thinks, who has already achieved a level of success you want to by accessing content that they have. And I did that a lot in the early years. Yeah. And you may be being mentored by someone that's never used the word mentor to you. Sure. Absolutely. I realized the, the, first, the first two mentors I had in my life, I never even knew the word mentor at that point, but they were definitely mentoring me as I look back on that. A question before we, we end, and this is one because I'm, I always have a, a soft heart for the people that are, are really struggling. So someone in the higher purpose community had asked, what, what would you say to the person who feels they are running out of time? and has a lot of lost ground to recover? Well, I would want to encourage them that it's never too late to have a new beginning. And we have kind of a cultural model where we expect somebody at 18 to make a decision that's going to chart the direction of the rest of their life. That's really unrealistic. In the early part of a career, the most value that most of those early jobs have is to help us understand what we don't want to do. And that's part of the clarifying process. So this is an onward process. It's an ongoing process. I don't coach 18-year-olds or 22-year-olds or 25-year-olds. My sweet spot for coaching is somebody who's 52 years old, you know, 48 years old, somewhere in that where they've had enough life experience to really ask the right questions. And they have enough life experience where we can look back on that and see the patterns that have emerged to give us confidence of proper direction. So I tell people often, Kevin, especially guys, do whatever you want to for the first 50 years of your life. There's not much that I would consider a mistake in any way at all. If we can at that point sit down, take a fresh look at this, really identify your why, how God has uniquely gifted you, you can go into the most productive two decades of your life. And we see that played out again and again and again. And now we're seeing people who figure this out and they realize working is not just about making money. Working is about applying our why, mm -hmm. engaging our talent in a meaningful way. Thus, money is removed as the primary reward for that. And I have the privilege of working with a lot of people where money is no longer an issue at all. Money is not the motivation. They have more money they could possibly spend. But the question is still, what is your why? What gets you up tomorrow morning? If you, in fact, have so much money, you couldn't spend it. And so you just take the normal approach and say, all right, I don't have to do anything. I can fish and play golf whenever I want to. You have told your body you're no longer needed. And it starts to send parts <laughs> ahead of you to heaven, perhaps. But it starts to shut down. And we see that again and again and again. So this is an ongoing process. but It's never too late. I don't care if somebody's 80 years old. We can do the same process. Look at what is your why, and life can be meaningful. Nobody's running out of time. I mean, I talk to 27-year-olds who say, oh, I majored in the wrong thing in college, and they give the impression that now I'm just going to have to kind of coast into the grave. I mean, life is ruined. Me. Yeah. You, you haven't been around long enough to even ask good questions. You know, you can change careers multiple times. And we see people doing that, even with highly uh, processed careers like physician, attorney, dentist, engineer, and so on. 
I mean, it's not that big a deal anymore to change that application if you choose to. Yeah, the, the phrase a friend of mine sent me on Twitter one day that I love and have incorporated since then, as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Absolutely. So I believe that. Two more questions before we go. One, what are you excited about? What are you most excited about after this epiphany and, and where you sit today and what you're looking at ahead? What, what, what's exciting, most exciting for Dan Miller? I'm looking at a 10-year time frame right now. It's a significant decade for me as Joanne and I are planning what we want that to look like. Um, I, I, I continue, as you know, Kevin, to have little obstacles thrown in my way. And that's okay because it wakes up that part of me that says, what does this make possible? So there have been some things that have happened just recently that have changed kind of the scope of some of the things we were doing in business that have been pretty major parts of our business. And I'm looking at, with excitement, what does this make possible? So I see that little speed bump, not as something that's going to derail me and leave me with a flat tire, but something that projects me up into the air, gives me a new trajectory. Mm. There are some things I really intend, I really believe that I'm going to accomplish more in the next 10 years than I have in my entire life up to this point. And part of that is because you've paused to reconnect to your why. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. With that clarity and knowing what I know now, I mean, I know more now. Yeah. I have more of a foundation than I did when I was 25. And using that and the insight and the new focus that I've got, I've never been more excited about what's going to unfold. I've got some meetings in the next couple of days that could do things just from a success quantifier in my business that really have the potential to dramatically triple, quadruple, quintuple what I've ever experienced in terms of financial success. We're positioned for that. Yeah, that's exciting. But that, that doesn't mean, and the thing is, that's not going to change the house that I live in, the kind of car I drive. It's not because of those things that I'm trying to do. It's because if I really understand a talent that God has given me, then I have the stewardship responsibility to use that well. Mm -hmm. It's not just about accumulating more for myself, but it's about me then being a worthy steward of that, um, a hose through which those blessings can flow. That's an exciting proposition. And I'm sitting right on the precipice of that with some things that I'm doing right now. So I've never been more excited about what the future holds. I love it. I'm sure there are listeners that are wondering how do they get more of Dan Miller in their life? How do they do that? Where do they go? Where would you point them? Well, I appreciate that. 48 days is pretty easy to find. Anything with that in the search will take you to resources that we have. 48days.com has a lot of resources for things that we've talked about here. I do a podcast, as you do. I, I love doing the podcast every week, the 48 Days Podcast. And then we've got our new community, 48dayseagles.com. And these are people who are not content with ordinary, with normal, with average. And they've linked arms and are helping each other in just some amazing ways. That's a very low-cost membership site, 48dayseagles.com. It's an exciting place to be, and I'm thrilled with what I see happening there. Awesome, Dan. Hey, before we go, 
I've got to say something publicly and, and just thank you. you. You've mentioned a couple times I've been at your place and I was there in January. And as a result of spending that day with you, that's one of the inputs, one of the reasons that prompted me to launch this podcast as I've launched it. And so I want to just say thank you, Dan. <laughs> I appreciate that. You've been a mentor to me. So thank you. Well, that's that's always astounding to hear. I'm just affirmed by that, and thank you for that. But I love those stories where just something that I was privileged to say or write, you know, was a little seed along the way of somebody's journey to help them explore something new and exciting as you're doing. Yeah, well, just like the guy at lunch, you know, it, it, had we not reconnected here, you may, I might not have had the opportunity to express that. So I wanted to take the opportunity and say thank you, Dan. So thank you for joining us, and thank you for for listening to this. And tune in more for exciting conversations about the Higher Purpose Pathway. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Miller. Let let me share my takeaways from this. What, What really stood out to me from the call. What's something that you're doing, perhaps something even you are excelling at, that's keeping you from your zone of genius? You know, Dan's looking at this 15%, putting 15% on the block every year and chopping it off and making room for something new. So what is that for you? Another takeaway, like Dan, have you drifted from your why? Are you more solidly in the water, the how, to use Simon Sinek? language? If so, I encourage you to take action right now to recenter and get back on track. If you need help with that, email me, contact me, do something, take a step of action. And then the third one, if you, are you facing a difficult situation? We all face difficult situations from time to time. Sometimes we get overwhelmed by it, but can you step back for a moment? and reframe that difficult situation and ask, what does this make possible? And maybe the breakthrough that's right over the horizon is better than anything you've imagined before. Hey, if you're looking for a community to support you on your pathway to purpose, check out the Higher Purpose community. There'll be a link in the show notes, but it's livehigherpurpose.com. It's a Facebook group, it's global in scope. And we'd love to have you join us there. A couple of other things I'd ask you before you depart. Hey, subscribe to this podcast so you get all future episodes delivered right to you. And if you're enjoying the podcast, do us a favor. Leave a review on iTunes and tell a friend. Pass it along to someone and and share the excitement that we're enjoying here. And remember, until next time, you were meant for more. Why settle for less?